Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode 102. And in this episode, Andy and the main content is going to talk about Psalm 90 Mm -hmm. and learning to number our days. I can't remember exactly how you phrased it or approached it, but that is in Psalm 90. Yep. But before we do that, we have some Thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Let's talk about some books. So for this week, I'm going to talk about business. Uh, Last Thursday, my family and I drove up to Duluth, Minnesota to speak at the Minnesota Association of Regular Baptist Churches state meetings. And it was a really good time. So I didn't do a lot of reading. I did a little bit of listening to a book, which I finished this morning and I'll talk about next week on the episode. But it was a really good time of fellowship. If you've never been to Duluth, Minnesota, it is gorgeous. Um, Brenda Hendrickson who works here at faith. She found it. I was going and she was going to be there repping the school. And she was like, is there any way you can stay extra time? And we're like, not really. And she's just trying to plead with us to stay there. And we got up there and it truly is gorgeous. It's really, really good. Um, so it was a great time. Talked about Bible study principles and, um, Dr. McLaughlin, Douglas McLaughlin, he was the other speaker and he talked about the theme was rightly dividing the word of truth. And so his was all about the power of the word. And if you've ever heard Dr. McLaughlin, it's always wonderful. The guy, uh, Dr. Newman and I were sitting next to each other at a session here at faith and a couple years back and Dr. McLaughlin was speaking and he just leans over and he says, boy, that man doesn't waste a word. And it's true. He's very much wordsmithed what he says. He manuscripts, and I didn't notice it until this time. But mm. Rob and I were both noticing how he manuscripts. The other thing I want to notice about him is he's 80 years old. Mm. He looks it, but he absolutely doesn't sound it. The guy is really sharp. So it was a it was a really good time of fellowship. Got to see some faith grads up there. Got to see Caleb Lobb. Shout out to him. Um, I feel like I should be shouting out more people. Oh, met Jared Matthew the host of the Central Baptist Theological Seminary podcast. And it was funny. I was sitting across the table from him at dinner, eating with Brandon Fritz and some others. And he introduces himself. And you know how your mind is kind of like something sounds familiar? I said, okay, where do you work? And he's like, oh, I work at Central. I'm their uh, like online guy. And I was like, oh, okay, what all do you do? And he's like, well, I host the podcast. And it was like right then. I'm like, oh, I know your voice. I know your voice. And that, it was a weird moment where I could hear him. And now I'm seeing him. So it was a really good time, really good week. And there's really good coffee in Duluth. Duluth Coffee Company, quality coffee. All right. It is an interesting thing when you recognize people's voices from things. Um, I've got a, a thing here. This is books, not business, uh, if that's how we're going to categorize things now. Um, so I think I've mentioned this a handful of times. We have Alistair McGrath, Mere Discipleship, Growing in Wisdom and Hope. And uh, the reason I'm reading it is it is a textbook for the class I'm teaching this semester, which is discipleship of youth. So I was brushing up on the chapters that my students are reading for tomorrow and just uh, glanced over a comment. I didn't even remember this was in here and uh, just thought it struck a chord with uh, previous discussions that we've had on the podcast. So I'm just going to read a paragraph and this is in a, um, in the chapter titled books and the discipleship of the mind. 
and so he's he's making the case for why we need to read books. And then, so in the first sentence, he's going to talk about an objection. What they're objecting to is the idea of books. So, paper, paper books. Yes, books, actual, well, the literal interpretation of what the word book means. Yes. A powerful objection might be raised here, rightly demanding our consideration. What you say is all very well, which is reading books, but why books? Why not just use the online texts of those books? Surely they convey exactly the same information, but in a much more convenient form. It is an entirely fair objection. Why do we need the bulky physical objects that we call books, when their content is easily available in a more modern and compact form? So let me explain why I think there continues to be something about books that gives them a distinct place in our lives. And he follows with what he just said, a reason why he thinks they should and do continue to have a presence in our lives. I'm going to follow that up. A couple pages later, he says this. Why read works in their entirety? And he's being somewhat facetious for the point of argument. Why read books works in their entirety when all an intelligent reader needs to do is use the search function to find any relevant passages in an electronic version of the text quickly and painlessly. Mm. And I feel like that is something that most modern students struggle with or struggle maybe isn't the right word, but they have utilized something like that before, uh, electronically searching their notes to find the answer that they're trying to study. Or if they have an ebook and they're trying to brush up on a very specific thing, just searching for that word or that name and finding it, reading it, and they're done, uh, supplementing what, whatever they're thinking about. And, uh, I think he's, he's obviously I'm a, a big proponent of, you know, if it's a good, better, best, I think maybe not best, but certainly better is to actually have a book. And that would be better than maybe some other alternatives like eBooks, like audiobooks, et cetera. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, there will be a discussion coming from this online conference that I went to and the, the science, the data behind like what technology does to us in education and how like being away from screens and also learning is probably really good for you. Mm. So like if all your book consumption is via screen, how that's actually not healthy for you physically. Uh, but that's another discussion. But um, my thought here was, and we've, we've you know, ad nauseum <laughs> covered like audiobook stuff. Um, but I think what he's trying to get at is, you know, yeah, you've gained a power to do something. You have a new ability to search in electronic resources for things. But in the ability to do this new thing, could you maybe be sacrificing abilities or skills that you had to do before? And like you're gaining efficiency and time, but are you losing something in, in that? And uh, like maybe there's something in the search where you had to like go back through other mm. parts of books to find that thing that you're really trying to find and maybe reading books in their entirety, like a full book rather than just searching out specific things gives you a broader foundation of knowledge. And uh, that was just things I was thinking through as I read that. And obviously I, I at least in part agree with his premise of physical books being good. So if you want to read that again, it's mere discipleship. I think it's chapter five, four books in the discipleship of mind. So an intriguing conversation that we've hit on before and uh, some good thoughts there that I was reviewing this morning. Beautiful. And 
possibly the best reason to have physical books is the aesthetic. It's like ebooks in your Kindle can never do to you what walking into an old, dusty, dank library could do. Like the visual, the smells, like that, that right there adds five points to IQ every time you do it. Just walking into a dirty, dank library. What about the sneezing? The sneezing? Yeah. Well, I, I prescribe to a very, uh, very Ken Rathbun ideal of sneezing, which (laughs) is, it is not allowed because it wastes too much time. Okay. I have some time, so I'm going to work, uh, through, uh, something, something I've been working through. Okay. So I've been reviewing, uh, woman, woman authors and literature. I've noticed this, uh, transition that's been taking place within broad evangelical female authors. I talked to you about Elise Fitzpatrick and, um, Amy Bird. And so I was going to highlight another aspect of this. And I wanted to bring up, uh, what does it mean to be a woman of strength? What about the Proverbs 31 woman? And so there's this one um, aspect of worthy. So the book worthy is the main one that I'm critiquing, at least right now, where they talk about uh, Ezer. Uh, You're like, Ezer, what's that? That's a Hebrew word. And it's found in Genesis 2. uh, What is it like 17? The Lord God commanded the man saying, oh no, that's not the verse. There was not found a helper comparable to him. Genesis 2.20. The word there, helper, is a point of discussion. It's actually a very good word study for you to work through. Worthy, the book worthy, they actually do a decent word study of it. The idea of the helper, it's not like... um, it's it's a it's like a military type of a term, and it it's like you know you're going to battle together. That's the idea. Uh, husband and wife are literally like arm in arm, and they're going to war. Um, and I personally like that metaphor. I think that captures an idea of how the the man is not uh, designed to be alone. He's supposed to have a helper, somebody that's there with him to fight the battle, uh, with him to support him when he's weak, uh, to lift him up, um, when he falls down. And that's the idea of a woman of Chayil, the woman of virtue, the woman of, uh, excellence and power, uh, from Proverbs 31. So, um, I'm reading into, reading a little bit of, uh, Lisa, uh, I don't know how to say her last name, Turkus, Turkers, T-E-R-K-E-U-R-S-T. She's a pretty well-known author. She's the president of Proverbs 31 Ministries. So when you're thinking through Proverbs 31, I mean, she created an organization that's built around it. She has a new book that's coming out here in November, and I'm, uh, skeptical. I'll just leave it at that. The book's not out yet. Uh, I've started working through her book released in 2020, Forgiving What You Can't Forget. Is the book titled Skeptical? No, it's or not. Or you are skeptical about it? I am about skeptical it. about it. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. I was being so, be a really interesting title. I want to get skeptical. into what does it mean to be like this strong woman? And what do we idealize, particularly in our young children, when it comes to a strong woman? I'm going to interact with two different sources here. One is the book Worthy. Okay, so um, the worth of woman in the promise. In this section, they're working through uh, Genesis still. But they start out with the illustration of Audrey Hepburn. What pictures come to mind when you hear that name? Do you immediately see a young, fashionable woman with short hair and a slim figure? 
Do you see an awarded actress of Hollywood's golden era walking the red carpet? Okay, so then they go through a bunch of her stuff. Did you envision a 62-year-old woman hugging fly-covered, malnourished children? Perhaps you should. In the last years of her life, Hepburn served as a goodwill ambassador for UNICEF. She testified twice before Congress for the welfare of children. She received numerous humanitarian awards. These included, and then blah, blah, blah. And so they list some of her uh, achievements and um, things that she did. Now, the purpose of them mentioning her is because a lot of times people judge uh, Eve specifically uh, because she sinned. And so their whole point was, well, listen, we look at Audrey Hepburn and we look at her Hollywood lifestyle and we're like, ah, something's not right there. But then look at these other things that she did. Similarly, people look at Eve and they're like, oh, look, she sinned in the garden. But then look at these other things that she did. The issue that I have is that what are they idealizing or who are they idealizing in a young, in a woman? Audrey Hepburn. And I don't know if you've done much study on Audrey Hepburn. I don't know. You just look at a Wikipedia article. She didn't exactly exemplify Christian virtue. She, they stated at the end, we remember Audrey Hepburn for her classic roles and some style. Yes, but let's also remember her for her humanitarian service and sacrifice for the good of others. I don't really think that Audrey Hepburn is the example that we want to point in Christian virtue in our woman. Now, so that's kind of maybe a little bit of an extreme example, and maybe they picked that one just as uh, an illustration but uh, for Eve. But, but often what I see within Christian literature is when they, they seek to idealize, hey, look at this woman, this is what you want to be, they don't pick anything associated really with the Proverbs 31 woman. Okay, so another book, Alice Matthews, uh, which is actually a pretty good book. It's decent. Woman of Strength. She similarly is like, you know, what uh, idealizes a, a woman of strength. And she states, when I was a child, the stories I loved most were of indomitable women missionaries, women who at times went where men were unwilling to go, women who risked everything in order to bring the story of Jesus to people who had never heard of God's love for them. The 19th century Scottish factory girl, Mary Slessor, was one of my missionary heroines. If any human being exemplified what it was to be a chayil person, it was Mary Slessor. Okay, so when I work through that, I'm like, well, Mary Slessor, you know, she was a missionary and she did amazing things and really tough things, very difficult things. And I think it was Africa, but is that what it means to be a chayil, which by the way, that's the word in Proverbs 31, a chayil woman. And the answer is no. Okay. Because what is the ideal woman? What is this Proverbs 31 woman? What is it that she is? How is it that she's described and identified in Proverbs 31? I mean, she's a wife and she's a mother. And I think what we've indirectly done in a lot of these even good Christian books is they've idealized this idea of a woman that's not according to the nature, not according to the original creation of what God designed a woman to be and that she's a wife and that she's a mother. Instead, that's why we have these women who are wanting to be missionaries or this or that. And so it gets back to, well, what has God called a woman to do? And in a future episode, I'll talk about that because Worthy talks about that calling. Furthermore, has anything changed in the calling of women between the Old Testament and the New Testament? And again, the book Worthy articulates and states, 
that there is something different. So I'm going to continue to talk about these kind of topics in uh, next week's episode. And uh, I hope that it's helpful for you just to kind of grow in discernment concerning a, concerning a, a current issue within um, uh, current issues in gender roles and so on and so forth. So that's what I've got for my books and business, interacting with Women of Strength, Alice Matthews, and then Worthy by Elise Fitzpatrick, and then a little bit, not really, but Forgiving What You Can't Forget by Lisa Turkist. All right. In this episode, we're going to have another conversation about death, kind of. It's going to be about Psalm 90, where Moses composes a psalm, and in it he says to teach us to number our days. And so we're going to have some meditation on what does it mean to count your days, and why would that benefit you? Hope you enjoy the episode. Let's have a conversation about the day of our death. I know, another downer of a podcast episode. The last time um, we were covering content and I was talking, we talked about Ecclesiastes 7 and how it's good to go into the house of a funeral rather than a house of a party because everyone's going to have a funeral one day and those who are living and who want to be wise will consider that. Today we're going to go to Psalm 90, which is historically associated with Moses. It's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And in this, we're just going to quickly walk through the first 11 verses to get the background. And then after that, we're going to hit verse 12, which is mainly where we want to get, which verse 12 is pretty famous. You've probably heard of it before. Verse 12 says this, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So at the outset, I just want to point out in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 4, it says the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fool is in the house of mirth. If, if a person is wise, they've considered the ramifications of the fact that we all get a funeral. Here in the prayer of Moses, it says that we should number our days, that is count them. How long have we lived? How long might we live? And by doing that, the Bible says you can get a heart of wisdom. You can have an internal person that is then wise. So how, do, how, does, how does he get to that point? Let's start up at the beginning. All right, I'm just going to read and annotate. First of all, let's talk about the structure. This psalm has three main sections. The first two verses are, depending on what commentary you look at, are a heart of, like they're like a, a hymn of praise. They're talking about God and his character. They're praising God for who he is. Then you have uh, 3 through 12. And one commentator that I, I like, he said, this is like a lament of the transience of life. Transience just means the quickness, the brevity of life. And then the third section is a prayer to God for restoration of God's favor on them. And that'd be 13 through 17. So let's just, <clears throat> let's start skipping through here and get some ideas. So verse one says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or you had ever formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, what we note here is that the psalmist is talking about God's eternality. He, he says, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. He says, before the mountains were brought forth. So this is before creation, before you formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So let's just for a moment talk about a part of the nature of God. Part of the nature of God is that he's eternal. Eternal, uh, I was at a camp recently and the other speaker, the co-speaker said it like this in a Q&A. Eternality 
is the, the idea that God is like a line that goes into the future forever and doesn't have an ending point, but goes into the past equally eternally. So it's a line that doesn't have a beginning and doesn't have an end. Whereas we humans don't have eternality in the same way. So what we call it is we have immortality. That means we live forever. We have a starting point and then we move on and we never end. Our starting, our, our line never ends. An animal would have something like a starting point and a stopping point to their line. So right here, the Lord through his uh, servant Moses here is explaining that I'm eternal. Like I am eternal. I have always been. I always will be. So listener, as we consider the day of our death, which is where this psalm is going to go, the first place, the foundation point is this, God's eternality. There's never a time, and that's an asterisk, when God hasn't been. If you think about it, before the creation of the universe, we're not really sure if there was time. Time is a function or a product or a relationship of energy and space and mass. It's, it's, it's a reaction or a response. It's a, not a response. It's, it's a part of those things. If you change gravitation, if you change speed, you actually change time. So the implication is that before everything existed, there was no time. So God is, in a sense, and maybe this is not very precise, he's timeless. There's a time when God existed in eternity past, when he, he would have existed, as in our conception, forever. Think about that for a moment. How long is that? What is that like to exist eternally in the past? It's, it's very hard for us as humans to think of that through, but it's something that's nourishing, and it will give you a heart of wisdom to think about that. In verse 3, the psalmist shifts gears from talking about God's nature to talking about how life is very short and brief, but there's more than just the transience of life here. You see the character of God, and you also see the nature and the character of humans here. So look in verse 3. You return man to dust, and you say, return, O children of man. Now here, it's God's power. God is our creator. We are not the creator. We are a creation. We are dust. God pulled us from the dust, and our bodies will go back to dust. If it were not for God, we wouldn't exist. And so the psalmist here says, you are the one essentially who says when you live and when you die. And if God says you die, you die. You can't, you can't beat it. Verse four, for a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it's past or as a watch in the night. Think about uh, the, the day before yesterday, whenever this is drops. Okay. What did you do for the day? How quickly did the day go? Even if it was a long day, now that you're remembering it, you see how it's kind of like a blip in your mind? You can, you can think about the whole day's contents in a couple of milliseconds if you want. Now, the, the, the comparison here is like a watch in the night or yesterday when it's over. So a watch in the night, I think at this time, is probably between three and six hours. Think about what it's saying here. For God, a thousand years is the same to him as for us, a watch in the night is, or just thinking about a day that's already passed. For God, time is different. He's, he's either over it, above it, created. I know there's, there's big theological debates on how that works, but just think about it from our perspective. You know, I go through a day and I go through uh, 365 days and I do that a thousand times, but to God, that was like yesterday, like a watch in the night. Later, it's going to be like a sigh. I mean, how long does a sigh last? There you go. Thank you, Tim, for that sigh. That was good. So 
he goes on in verse five to say, you sweep them away with a flood. They're like a dream, like the grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and renews, but in the evening, it fades and withers. So that's five and six. My grass right now, we're, we're recording this in the summer in Iowa, and it's hot and my grass is all brown. But if you've ever noticed, you can have really brown grass and you get one good day of rain. And what happens to the grass the next day? Man, it is getting green. And the next day after that, it could be quite lush. And so this is quick. It's brief. It's fast. It's transitory. This present life with all of its trials, all of its difficulties, all of the suffering in God's view is a moment. It's brief. Now, I'm not minimizing the suffering you're going through. I'm not minimizing the different difficulty. But when you think about eternity from God's perspective, it does shape the way I look at my suffering, I look at my trials, and I look at the difficulties of my life. Verse 8 says, now here's where you see in verse, excuse me, verse 7, you've seen before this that God's eternality is contrasted with man's brevity. Man is like brief. We're here and gone, but God's here forever. Now in seven, we move from the nature, like nature is how you are, to our character. And our character is now going to be contrasted with God. So look in seven. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. Now God cannot have anger or wrath and be sinful. He's not sinful. So when he is angry, when he is wrathful, he's perfectly holy. So now he's, now the psalmist is calling to mind the character of God. Verse 8, he says, you have set our iniquities, our sins, before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Here the psalmist is saying, we sin. Even the sins that we commit that no one can see, God's presence is there and sees them. So we have two big contrasts, God's eternal nature and our immortal or brief nature, and then God's holiness and just righteous anger and our sinful iniquity, even when it's secret. So you've got two big things that are in play here. Look at verse nine. For all of our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. So even if we have been saved and we know the Lord, we still face a universe that's been cursed because of sin. We ourselves still deal with the flesh that is within us. And he says this, he says in in verse 10, he says, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we all fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So again, it's just, it's comparing, we sin, God's righteously angry and wrathful. We have a punishment we face. Now, of course, in the New Testament, we've, we've, we know Christ, we know his provision and we can be saved, but we still do, um, we still do face the, the results of sin in this world. Both we sin against other people and other people sin against us. And so these descriptions of toil and trouble and difficulty fit. So he, he moves the passage all the way to verse 11. He says, when I consider the power of your angle and I consider, and I consider the wrath according to the fear of you, he says then, so YOLO, 
Live as good as you can now because life's short and make the most of it. Tim, why are you laughing? And are you on mute? I'm following along in the Bible. Oh, you are? What? Did I not read the Bible? Is that not what verse 12 says? Like, God's eternal. I'm, pre- I'm brief. Uh, he's good. I'm bad. I've got a different translation. So I don't just live a YOLO life and do what I want? That's funny. YOLO. Yeah, that's right. So 12 says this. That is the response. When you look at God's character, my character, God's nature, my nature, and you see the difference, what does Moses tell us to do? He says, number your days so that you can get a heart of wisdom. What I think many Christians, and I've done it myself, is when life is hard, and when life is a trial, and when life is suffering, I stop thinking of the eternal plan of God, I stop thinking of the day of my death, I stop thinking about the future, and I only look at the present trial. And in that, I'm tempted to be justified to respond in sin or to lash out in justified, what I think is justified anger. There's many ways I think I can sinfully respond. Uh, Since Moses says, teach us to number our days, I thought this would be fun. I I looked up a website. There's a website, guys, called timeanddate.com. Now, I don't think he's literally counting the days, but I thought it'd be interesting. So I put in my birthday, April 8, 1980, and I put in today's date, August 8, 2022. Now, you're hearing this later because we recorded this in an earlier date. And I have currently been alive for 15,462 days. Now, this should episode should drop on August 27th if we don't have any scheduling difficulties. So if I put that date in, I will then have been alive for 15,502 12 days. 15512 days. If you want to add that up in weeks, that's 2,216 weeks. If you want to do hours, that's 372,000 and change. If you want to do seconds, I will have been alive for 1,340,236,800 seconds. So here's my question. What do you think... Moses means actually when he says, teach us to number our days. I know it's probably not the counting the days, but what does he in practicality want us to do? What do you guys think about that? What do you think he's asking us to do when it's number our days? What you just did, go to Google. (laughs) You are so horrendous. Find a service to number them. I'm not sure. They probably used an, an abacus yep. uh, for the Hebrews. Yep. Yep. Maybe probably she would have sat there and yep. just, you tick, know. Tick, tick, tick. Yeah. <laughs> so, listener, I just wish you could be here with us because, so Charlie looks at me and he has this, Tim can correct me if I'm wrong, he has this, we'll call it the glimmer in the eye. I thought he was going to have something serious to say. You I missed really, the glimmer. How'd you I miss did, the glimmer? It just, was right. You know. You well, he was looking in my direction, not yours. <laughs> when do I have things serious to say? Is it more than just counting the days? Yes. Okay. Look, what's he getting at? What What's the actual word there? Do you have a pull up, Tim? It's mana. Think of uh, Daniel and Belshazzar. Mene, mene, teko. Uh, you're numbered, weighed. And then what's the last word? It found lacking. Yeah, he found mm-hmm. wanting. It's the word for numbered in the Daniel uh, Belshazzar story. And so it's like to count. You count them. You number your days. You count them. 
So I just counted up the days that I exist. Hmm. What then do you think Moses wants me to do with that information? How should that change? Is it just that now I know the number and I can extrapolate out into the future and maybe guess? Because I think there's maybe some changes that would be in line with a heart of wisdom more than just knowing the number of days. I think the number of days helps us because we see how small we are, but what might he want me to do in, in, in result? Yeah. I think the connotation with wisdom in Psalm 90, I haven't thought through Psalm 90 as a wisdom Psalm. And it, I don't know if it is a wisdom Psalm actually. In fact, it says that it's a prayer, um, but the connection to Ecclesiastes seven, which is clearly wisdom literature and teaching a truth that is really very similar where you, when you go to the house of mourning, then it makes you wise because then what is it going to make you do? You're going to think through, oh, guess what? This is going to be me one day. So how should I live in light of that? Not YOLO. Okay. You only live once. No, but instead, you know what? I am going to die one day. So I need to make the most of this day for God's glory. What does that look like? Loving, serving others, uh, acts of mercy and grace, uh, making a ton of wealth so that you can spend it on yourself. No, but using the wealth and the blessings and the possessions that God's given you uh, in acts of love and service to others. Um, so that I, I really think that it, it helps us to have more of an eternal perspective, not focusing on the things of this world, but numbering our days, redeeming the time. I think that's in Ephesians someplace. Mm-hmm. And um, seeking to live for the glory of God and not for the glory of oneself. Because what am I? You're a vapor. I'm a vapor. I'm You're dust. I'm going to turn back. I'm yep. a sigh. You're a sigh. And the metaphor also was uh, God is angry and then people mm-hmm. return to dirt mm-hmm. uh, because of our sin. And that's my future is that I turn to dirt and I take nothing with me. So you mentioned Ecclesiastes 7. Yeah. And the reason is the, the previous podcast where Andy was talking about better is the day of mourning. That's the beginning of chapter 7. So what I asked you know, what was the word, what, what popped into my mind was actually later in Ecclesiastes 7, where he oh. talks about considering, and mm-hmm. I was wondering if it would be the same word or not. It's not, mm-hmm. but there's actually a tie directly to it. So in chapter one of Ecclesiastes, it says, um, let me see if I still have the search pulled up. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. counted. Ooh, it's the same word. That's good. So then that comes up again in Ecclesiastes 7, consider, uh-huh. think, yeah. a, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? So he's mm. quoting in chapter 7 what he's already brought up in chapter 1. And what seems crooked about life is things don't always add up. You know, I work really hard. I should get all the payoff from that. Well, sometimes that's not the way life works. It's like you're putting together a puzzle when you don't have all the pieces <laughs> the very next verse count your days mm. in the day of prosperity yes. be joyful and in the day of adversity consider mm. so it's again it's this idea of thinking about your days mm-hmm. god has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him so and we don't want to get down this rabbit hole of what we're talking about there but i think very specifically, the idea of counting yeah. is, is this thinking idea. So I, I, I think it ties right into mm-hmm. wisdom that way. 
That's beautiful. In fact, uh, one of the commentaries I read, I can't remember which one said, the psalm, if you were categorizing it, has a lot of lament characteristics because you're lamenting God's wrath and our sinfulness. But they did say it had a connection to the wisdom literatures because of that thing in the middle there. Well, I think that that's a really good way for us to, to walk forward in our discussion. The idea is that if I'm counting something, I have to think, I have to analyze, I'm, 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 I'm tabulating. And then I think there is an element of evaluation, I'll say. If I know that I have lived this many days, there's going to be an evaluation. What have I done with my days? If I am sinful, if God has wrath, if God has redeemed and been kind to me, what have I done with my days and my time? Uh, this summer has been crazy. It's been just good, and then there's been some really sad things. Uh, there's a student I know who lost a loved one. There's another friend I know who lost a loved one. There's a coworker I know who lost a parent. There's a there's been a number of death situations this summer, and I'm sure they're always this way, but they've been more close to my life. And I think that when you think through how fragile and brief your life is, you have to ask the question, what have I done both with the time I've been given and what will I do with whatever time remains? So that might be a good thought for you to walk through the rest of your day with, you know, and think about it in all the areas of life. So if you are a child and you have a parent who's giving you instruction uh, should you be honoring that instruction if it's godly? If it's God-honoring instruction. If you are a married person, how have you been living toward your spouse? Have you been... Uh, Sunday, we, were, we had an awesome Sunday school lesson, and in it we were talking in small groups, uh, little small groups, and we asked this older guy, her, well, he's very energetic, but he's a little... He's aged, I would say. And we said, do you have any advice for us on marriage? And he, he just, without missing a beat, said, yeah, be really forgiving. And don't forget to say you're sorry too. And it, it was, uh, it, he, he's, I think they're going to be married. I can't remember a long time, maybe 50 years soon. And you know, you think about that. If you're only here on this earth for that long, how are you going to live in your marriage? How are you going to live with your parents? How are you going to live at your job? How are you going to live in your church? Um, I like to do it this way. Think 5 billion years into the future. Okay. Are all the four planets of our solar system, if it's even still around, have been consumed by the sun uh, you're probably in heaven if you're a believer. You, well, you would be in heaven at that point, sorry. So in the intervening 4.99999 billion years since your death, what has your life been like? Wonderful. Exactly as God intended it. In, in 5 billion years, when you look back on your present trial, your present temptation, your present question, your present struggle, and you make the decision you're about to, th to make, will you look back and think, I was so dumb. My life was like a vapor. And I decided to do that. Nah, I shouldn't have done that. Or will you look back and say, oh yeah, I had a right estimation of where things are going. Do you guys have any final thoughts to add before we land the plane on this one? I thought it was interesting how we began the podcast with, got kind of a downer topic. We're going to talk about death mm -hmm. and how so often that is our culture's perception of talking and thinking about death. It is. Um, but how death actually truly brings wisdom and perspective, which is how you ended there. And so 
uh, I thought that was a great reminder and I pray that our listeners grow in wisdom. Yeah. You know, it is interesting. I was at a funeral just a few days ago and I understand the sentiment of the idea of it's not a funeral. It's a celebration of life. Oh yeah. I understand that sentiment, (laughs) but I think there's something wrong about that. Yeah. It's like, it is a day of mourning for a reason. And, uh, you know, and Christians have joy in death and like an odd twist of fate because we know death is, is life. But for people who are dying without that, like it is a very empty, hollow hope. And so, you know, it, it, there's a re why is mourning a good thing? When you think about death, you think about your life this way, it can lead you to the source of joy. So it's kind of like a prerequisite to think about heavy things like this. And so like, you know, I would almost to amend just because it's on my mind from the last couple of days. What is a funeral? It is a celebration of death. It's not a celebration of their life. Mm -hmm. It's not like, look what happened. Yeah. They have died. And, you know, what do we do with death? Mm -hmm. And I think teaching us to number our days, like that's the idea is to just to think about death the right way. Yeah. So I think that's good. This has been helpful to guide our thoughts that way. I really like that. And I would say that if you call your, if you call a funeral a celebration of life, I don't think we're trying to pick at you, but the Bible does say death is an enemy. The Bible does say death is unnatural. The Bible does say death is the result of sin. And so I think you're right, Charlie. It's perfectly appropriate to mourn over that and to, to, to consider and to think. And, and I think I can give a proof text for, like, this is how God would have us react. In John chapter 11, Jesus shows up to the mourning yes. of Lazarus. Yes. And he knows he's going to bring him back to life. But what does he do? He weeps. He weeps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And actually, my pastor, shout out to Pastor Lance, when he preached through this, you know, why is he crying? Is it because he's just really good friends with Lazarus and he's so bummed that Lazarus is gone, knowing that in a few minutes he's going to be talking to him? It doesn't really fit, right? What is he weeping about? Like, what would move the affections of, of God in death? Like, it is the enemy. Like, it this is, is the curse. Yeah. This is the result of yep. sin that God did not design but allowed, and it hurts God to see the curse of sin happen. And so what, what is the proper response at the day of mourning? It, it is to weep, and Jesus did that. Yep. And, you know, as he's wiping the tears from his face, hey, Lazarus, come mm-hmm. on out. You know, that, that's, I think, the beauty of that mm-hmm. is that he is the source of life in the death. Yes. It, the curse has affected everything but it cannot overpower Jesus and mm-hmm. God. So anyway, that, that's just a little bit yeah. more to that celebration of death idea. Yeah. So I think that's very helpful. So listener, what I would say you should walk away with today is maybe even go to the timeanddate.com and add up how many days you've been alive, but think, consider what have you done? What have you done with the time that you've been given And then how much time do you have left and how should you live in light of God's goodness and God's eternality? 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.